0: Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills, on the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle. Which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle Now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy.
1: The only advice I give cricket captains is just make sure that you understand who you're captaining. That's all I say. I said, I don't give a, a damn about you, your tactics. It's, it's irrelevant in my book. You know, having three slips, four slips, left arm is right. Who cares? That, that's irrelevant. That's just an opinion. But if you really want to be a, a fantastic captain, just make sure that you know the people that you're captaining.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lessons Learned with the Greats. I'm Shane Watson, and today we are in for a real treat. This guy was not only a number one ranked Test batsman, he also played a pivotal role in leading his team into winning one of the best Test series of cricket that has ever been seen. No cricket lover will ever forget that 2005 Ashes series where England won the Ashes at home for the first time in 18 years. This is a really exciting episode for me to have a chance to chat to this great man. Michael Vaughan, thank you so much for taking the time to be on my show.
1: No, great. Thanks. Uh, hope Paul hope is well down under. What, uh, you just mentioned that series uh, back in 05. Uh, I think India have just surpassed it as the greatest series that I've seen. Yeah, that's
0: so true. <laughs> what, a, what a series, like up and down. Who would have thought?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it just tells you in sport that, you know, I, I don't think – I was one of many pundits, and I reckon most people that love the cricket around the world that as soon as India were bowled out for 36 and Virat's on the plane home, <laughs> knowing that the Aussies are, are such a formidable force on the home turf, I, I think we all felt that it was going to be 4-0. You know, I don't think many would have argued with it. Even the Indian diehard fans, and you know them mm. better than most, Yeah, uh, they are very blinkered and one-eyed. I think even they'd have thought, wait a minute, it's going to be a real rough ride for the Indian side. And then you add in all the injuries that the Indians um, had to deal with uh, to come back. And then they know that they're playing the Gabba, that the Aussies haven't lost since 1988 at mm-hmm. that venue. Uh, to win that series and to to play with so much resilience, character, and, and so many younger players getting the chance, just shows you that you're never quite sure what's going to happen in sports. So that's why I mean, Test cricket is the the best format for that. Mm. That you just you think after day two when India were six down quite cheaply, got Washington, Sunder, and, and Thakur kind of out there, two uh, very inexperienced players. Uh, Sunder on his debut, and they just managed to get a partnership, kind of sneak their team back into the contest. Um, brilliant, brilliant test match cricket.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned um, this. You know, there's no question, like this test series, like <laughs> every test match went down to the wire, went down to the last day. And that's a one thing, um, you know, with that test series in 2005, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, but yeah, that that was just test series. You're on the edge of your seat the whole time because one or two pivotal moments just could turn could turn a test match.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think this series interesting. seen, I think controversy helps as well. I mean, as much as... Um, You know, people. They oh, you just want to play the game the right way. I think a little bit of controversy always adds to the drama of the game. Um, You know, I think India are are, are a powerhouse. That I've always been amazed that they're not the best team in the world by country distance for a long distance. You know, because of the amount of people that play the the game in India, the actual. Uh, passion that they have for cricket, the, the eyeballs that are on the games, the superstars that are coming through the IPL. And that's probably where they've got a massive advantage now that you've got young stars that are coming into the IPL at a young age, mixing with the likes of yourselves and all these great coaches. So when they come into the international arena, not only are they used to playing with the Indian legends that are in the team, um, they're looking across the board of the opponents and thinking, well, I've played against you already in the IPL. And also I've played under a huge amount of pressure. That That... Kind of ability to play under pressure is so important as a young player, uh, as any player. But the fact that you've got a Shubman girl just making his debut uh, in a test series like we've just seen and just look like he's played 50 tests already. Uh, Washington Sundar kind of strolls out there as if he's played 25 tests before he's faced the ball. That's all down to the, the kind of operation that India have now. So... Um, the rest of the world better get, get ready. I've said it a few times in the last 10 years, but I've just got a sneaky feeling with, with India now that they might go through a period of domination. They definitely have the tools and they have the skill. Uh, they have the depth in the squad. And it might be that... Uh, I think that the one area that they've really struggled is beating England and England for a long time. You know, With the juke ball, with it swinging around, they've really struggled in English conditions. They play England this year in a five-test match series here. Uh, I think they'll see England off, obviously, in Indian conditions, but... If they can beat England in England, uh, I think unquestionably quest- that they are the best test match team with a seer by a decent distance.
0: Vaughan, you made your test debut at the Wanderers, the ball ring in Johannesburg in, 2000, uh, in 1999 and very quickly became one of the great technicians of batting that was copied the world over. In your 82 test matches um, that you played, you scored just over 5,700 runs at a great average of 41.44 with 18 test hundreds um you also played 86 one day national scoring in nearly 2000 runs for you captained england in 51 of your 82 test matches winning 26 of those test matches <laughs> that's um that's an that's an incredible record um especially with the heat that comes on being <laughs> captain of the english test cricket team um okay before we really dive in um I have to give my all-time favorite highlight um, of, of you throughout your career. And this one stands out to me as clear as day. And it was your mind-blowing Ashes series out here in Australia in 2002-03, where you scored like a ridiculous amount of runs, 633 runs in five tests of the Ashes series against some of the best bowlers Australia has ever had. McGrath, Gillespie, Brett Lee, Stuart McGill. What do you remember that time? Because I remember watching it and it was it were you on another level.
1: I, I, I arrived with um, confidence. I'd scored um, four centuries in the, in the English summer, um, one against Sri and three against India. Um, it, it was very new to me playing the Australians because I'd not played against that great side. I think I played uh, one one-day game at Old Trafford um, and it was when the, the, the lights in England were used for the first time and the, mm-hmm. there wasn't many lights. It was quite dark when I strolled out to bat. Steve Waugh was captain and, and Dizzy was charging in and he put a field out of this One day cricket, I think I batted at three or four, I can't remember, it was short leg, leg gully. Uh, mid-off went wide, mid-on got taken out, about three or four slips in a gully. Um, and obviously I'm expecting the bouncer and Dizzy threw in the yorker and we often went flying out the ground first ball. <laughs> so that was my only experience that I'd uh, had against the Aussie team. So I arrived in 2002 as a young pub, and um, a few senior players in the side. Uh, Understandable with the England side back then, we'd been battered and bruised by the Aussies so many times from the nineties right through to the early two thousands. And um, I, I kind of just went into the series with with, with an eye that uh, I just had to play the ball, play the ball, and forget the name. Because if you if you go out to bat and take guard and you see Glenn McGrath. Let's be honest, you're going to shit yourself. <laughs> yeah. you know, Shane at first slip, giving you plenty. And then you've got Brett Lee steaming in. You've got Jay, uh, Jason Gillespie, who was a tremendous bowler, just zippy, full of lens, swinging him away from me. Um, so I just thought, you know, what, what I'm going to do is I haven't got any baggage apart from that one mm. kind of ball against them in the one day cricket. So I decided to just stare at the ball and just react and, and try and be positive because. You know, with Australia back in those days, they were so good, so strong. And Steve Waugh was so like, aggressive in his style that I kind of always took guard and thought, well, there's that many gaps. You know, they'd always have four slips and a gully, a short leg. So I thought if I could get bat on it, there's a chance I'm going to score a few runs. Um, and I had a bit of fortune. There was a, a moment in Adelaide where I was caught at, at cover point. Um, It was the era that you could take it upstairs and have a look. And it just deemed that the ball had bounced just in front of Justin Langer. I'm pretty sure it went straight in his hands, to be honest. But I got away with that. I think I was on 20. I managed to get 170 there. Um, And by just watching the ball and just kind of forgetting the names and realising that in Australia, the Kookaburra ball does a little bit for a 15, 20 over period and then it's fine. Um, The pitches are true. They bounce nicely. Uh, I, I always could play the short ball okay, so that wasn't a concern for me. And I think, actually, the Aussies, because I was this young pup, and they were beating us, convincingly, the amateurs at the Gabba uh, got on top of us in, in the Adelaide Oval pretty much straight away. Uh, I think they bowled too short. They didn't quite work out. That that mid-range kind of length was perfect for me because I like to pull the ball. Similar to you, you know, that front-footed pull, I played that shot, mm. um, particularly in Australia on those wickets. And I don't know whether, it, because I don't think they were arrogant, but I just thought they'd, it just kind of bounce me and bowl a bit short and intimidate me, and um, they got the wrong length. It, it took them to low fire. when they realised you just pitched it up to me and hit hit kind of three quarters of the way up uh, the off stump. There's a great chance you're going to sneak me off or get me out lbw. So it took them a series to work out how to bowl to me. So I kind of I fed off the fact that uh, they were hammering us and I could kind of sneak under the radar and play a few shots. And before they knew, it, oh, I got another hundred. It was it was quite nice. But I will say though, we we beat them in Sydney in the last test of that series. And I always think any test, match, we weren't good enough to beat them in Australian conditions. We didn't have a good enough team to compete, but I always felt that that one test match win was as good a test match win because of where we were, the team we were playing, to beat an Aussie team, you know, led by Steve Waugh with all those greats in it, even on one occasion was, was worthy of a celebration. We did actually celebrate. And we got, remember the uh, Rocky, remember the dressing room attendant? Yeah, absolutely. Rocky, yeah. yeah. Rob, We yeah, used, yeah. used to leave <laughs> us messages. Yeah. On the board, in the, yeah, yeah, great, great guy. And he had that Gatorade buggy, yeah, that he used to kind of drive out with, with the drinks on. Well, we actually left the SCG that night. I, I dread to think what time it was. And we tried to drive back to the hotel in the Gatorade <laughs> buggy. <laughs> and we got to the traffic lights, and the coppers pulled in and went, Guys, and we all had our whites on, <laughs> absolutely steaming. And the coppers pulled in and said, uh, Guys, come on, just take it back, get a taxi. <laughs> 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 I had to sit around and take it back to the dressing rooms.
0: <laughs> Brilliant, love it, Vaughn, You had so many amazing highlights throughout your career. Um, is there one that really stands out to you the most above above everyone else?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you when you're in it and you you know you you kind of playing and, and, and you you know you've just kind of finished and you'll understand over the years that you kind of go back in things and at the time you think it's special, but you know to think that you know I was a fortunate captain to to kind of make the, the walk to stand on the podium, to lift up the urn. You actually look at the history of the game, there's not many that have had the chance to do that. And there's many, many cricketers, both in Australia and England, that, you know, are desperate to play for their country and and participate in an Ashes series. There's only a a small few lucky people that actually get the chance to get their their hands on the urn for the first time. And, you know, know, especially now, I look back, and that was, what, 16 years ago, You can't do it without your team. You can't do it without a huge amount of support from the back room and a bit of fortune. That's exactly what we had. But um, I feel very lucky and blessed that I'm I'm one of a a small few, really. And I don't actually know how many people have actually done it, both from Australia and England, but it can't be too many that have had the chance to walk up on that podium and get the urn and lift it for the first time. That's obviously uh, what we all set out to do as, as young cricketers either in, in England or Australia is is your dream and your dream of playing in an Ashes series, your dream of getting a 100 or a Fifer but to actually think that I captained and, and lifted the urn uh, I feel very fortunate to have had that opportunity so uh, without question that that's the best moment. Um, I also look back at my career of what, what did I play about 18 years and just think what a laugh what what, what, a, what a giggle I had playing cricket for, for all those years, whether it was for Yorkshire uh, back in the 90s, going on pre-season trips to Zimbabwe, Antigua, uh, Cape Town, under-19 trips to Sri Lanka, India, uh, A trips to Australia. That was a, pretty much a stag trip back in 1996. <laughs> cricket, cricket was very secondary to, to what was going on off the field. Uh, and, and, and now, you know, for 12 years, I've been travelling the world Uh, talking about the game. So uh, I'm very lucky. I I don't have any bones about people pointing their finger at me saying, oh, Vonnie, you're a lucky bug." I go, yep, I am. But I try and make the most of it. So (laughs) I'm not going to hide behind the fact I've had some fortune, but I just love the game. You know, I've been getting up to watch, obviously, England, Sri Lanka. Um, You know, but watching the uh, India-Australia series, you know, the big bash every morning here in the UK. It's a great time. I just like seeing good cricket. I like seeing... Flamboyant cricket, good cricket, disciplined, uh, skillful, uh, determined. I love to see resilience. I like, I like the underdog coming through, which is what's happened with the Indian side. And you know, I think we're all very fortunate that you know we have tough times and we have kind of moments where we think the game's horrible and it's treated us badly. Fundamentally, that's uh, particularly when you finish, you realise that it's all nonsense. We're all very fortunate to do what we do.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, there's certainly – you re, You realise that now that I've retired as well, you do realise how incredibly fortunate you are to be able to live your dream of doing what you do, um, you know, be able to be fortunate enough to be able to, you know, play even if it's just like you have first class cricket going on great tours but you know to be able to represent your country as well it's something that you look back and you just really pinch yourself that, that was that, that was you
1: yeah <laughs> and also the other, the other thing that I always look back on in, in like teams that you, you kind of got to um, gel together all these different people mm. so people always say to me oh, the, the way you manage the team and I was like I honestly don't see myself as a, a massive leader I just did what I did. I just enjoyed being around people. I understood that everyone was different. I didn't mind difference at all. I just wanted whoever was in the team to be them. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever them was and, mm-hmm. and however their traits were natural, I just wanted them to be natural. You know, if they were a pain in the arse, be a pain in the arse all the time. It's not mm-hmm. a problem. If they were aggressive and positive and uh, outspoken, just just be you. If that's you, that that's not a pro- problem for me. And I kind of look back and I look at cricket teams and groups now, particularly in the bi-bubble world that they're in, there's like 25 mm. players and there'll be 15 coaches, 40 people mm. to try and get on. It's impossible. Mm. So you can understand that you're going to have little cliques and there'll be little groups that uh, kind of hang around together, uh, talk together, go for dinner at night. But fundamentally, that's fine. As long as by the time that 11 walk on the pitch you know what the goal is and you know what your role in that team is. That's that's all that matters in cricket. But fundamentally, it's impossible to think that 40 people get on so well. And I saw the team spirit must have been great. You know, you you had this team that was so together. I so, said, well, it was together when the, the time mattered, which is on the pitch. You know, but yeah. fundamentally off the pitch, not everyone got on. Not everyone saw eye to eye because you've got too many different characters and not all characters get on with other characters. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But as long as that moment comes when you're out in the middle and you go, right, time to switch on, this is our job. Once it's job time and work time that you can kind of get together, uh, that's all that matters in the game of cricket. So, yeah, I kind of look back and think, gosh, and I look at all these teams now. I keep hearing, oh, the spirit's great, the spirit's great. I go, it's utter nonsense. The spirit's yeah. on the great when you win.
0: He's like, Australia
1: <laughs> now, i in pain, we're getting pelters. <laughs> He'll get pelters. Everyone's yeah. question is, and, and look, there's there's some right uh, comments that will be made that Tim probably tactically got a few things wrong. But, you know, the, the spirit in the Australian team, just because they've lost the game, will not be any different. It'll be mm. confidence that'll get hit because they've lost. But the spirit shouldn't be different because they're still the same human beings. You know, they're still yeah. the same people that'll get together and try and play the next series. Um, it's just that confidence factor in sport when you lose or individually score a few low scores, it's how you how you get that back. And the only way you can get that back is hard work, scoring a few runs as a player and winning a game for a team. That that's pretty much how cricket revolves and how the cycle goes. You get pelters for a while, but you've somehow gotta have that resilience to come back and try and fight again.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And the one thing that you mentioned there just around leadership, and I know you you've played it down a bit, but not every leader though does accept that everyone is different. And that's actually a really good thing and you actually, to get the best out of the people around you is just to let them be the best version of themselves, whatever that is. But Vaughn, not every leader is like that. Not every leader accepts that everyone is different, that you don't just have to have pigeonholed personalities to be able to, to get along with them. Um, because no. like that is that is quality leadership in itself, is ex- accepting that everyone's different.
1: Yeah, the, the best piece of advice I've ever, ever had in uh, leadership was from my dad. Hmm. dead simple advice and when I got the job first and foremost when, it, when I rang him to tell him I'm going to be the England Test Match captain his response was I, I, am I allowed to swear on this podcast
0: <laughs> yeah it, of course
1: he yeah. <laughs> basically, uh, basically said son fuck me they must be struggling <laughs> 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 so that, that, that gave me a confidence boost but he just said All right, I'll give you one piece of advice I'm not a cricketer myself he said but just remember you're managing people hmm. not cricketers Manage the person the cricketer will look after himself. Yeah. And it's the greatest piece of advice I've ever had because you do have to remember that in sport, there is a human being behind that sports person. And, you know, the average of 45 with the bat, we can see. You know, that doesn't need any work. You know, the coaches can work on that to try and be 47 or 48. Um, but what you need to understand is that person behind that player. And if you can get to know the person, there's a better chance that you'll be able to cope with managing that person when the pressure's really on. You know, so I I, I pretty much manage every single player individually. I, I wasn't interested in... and all the people that say, oh, you know, you collectively get the team together. I said, that happens if you if you manage every individual right. And then you get the team together because that individual's happy. He knows he can be himself in the team space. Many, many times I would always say to the bowlers, you'd come to me. If you want a day off, you're having a day off. I'd, I Honestly, I've no no grudge at all if on the Wednesday before the Thursday start you want to stay in bed I'm not bothered as, as long as you're there for me on Thursday it really doesn't concern me that you know one or two would come you know if on a Wednesday to practice and Freddie Flynn might say you know what skip on just go into the physio room have a, have a massage it's not a problem and then go go to the cinema do do whatever you wish as long as you know you're ready and you're right I said I can't tell you if you're ready only you knows when you're ready and that's I think it, I think it's getting better in sport I think more more leaders are understanding that you know it is about just making sure that every single part of that operation of the team is the individual being right uh, and you have to understand that there might be some players that take the mic and, and try and get away with not training as hard as they should that, that's that's the art of kind of studying people and, and understanding when you kind of sense that someone's taking the the piss out of you and that's when you have to step in and go, whoa, 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 no, that, that's not happening. You've got to put some extra yards and you're not bowling well enough. You're not batting well enough. You can't not practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately I, I would always say look yourself in the mirror and, and ask the question. And if you're going to lie to yourself, giving the answer back, well, you're not in a great state of mind and not not in a great place. so
0: Vawny, that's incredibly wise words what you said there. Like that's like I'm not sure if you realize how wise those words are because as I said it's not it's not every leader, whether that's a captain or it's the coach or the coaching staff, really do deeply understand that. How unbelievably important it is that every individual is their own person and it's not the cricket. It's a person behind them. You need to manage them individually. And then collectively, as, as you said, like with the individual, you know, because know, you know them, you know what they're going to be like under pressure as well because you've connected with them and you know how different, yeah, how they're going to operate.
1: Yeah, and also, I mean, you can go as far as saying sometimes when you're selecting teams, um, you know, I'd advise leaders and, and management and selectors to to understand the characters that you need. So, for instance, you go to Australia as an England team. Uh, when they lost in 13, 14, 5-0, they had a lot of quiet people. You had a mm. lot of quiet players, very uh, insular players, which is fine, it's not a problem. But in amongst the insular players and also the, a lot of the management were very similar, I think you need a few firecrackers in there. You need a few that, you know, just break the ice after a tough day at the office. You know, you've been out in the dirt for night year, he's been it for 3.30, Smith's on 160 again. You just need characters in that dressing that will say something funny and just mm. break the ice. And I just look back at the team that they selected in 13, 14, they just didn't have enough of those kind of carriages. It didn't help that Graham Swan uh, was struggling with his elbow and mm. uh, he then went home. There was a lot of um, kind of turmoil around the team back then. But, you know, I always advise teams, it, 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 you kind of look at the group of 16 and realise, particularly on tour, when you're at home, it's, it's a lot easier to manage because players can get away from it and, and go back to the houses and kind of switch off. But when you can't have that, You really need to be clever in in, in the kind of characters that you pick in a team. And if it is a decision between a certain player and another player, and you know that they're kind of on the periphery and they're kind of similar standards, just try and work out what what kind of character is going to be best suited for that tour that you're going on. And, um, you know, I think England are getting better and better at realizing that, you know, that's very important and, and very important to understand every single individual within that team, what the hobbies are, what makes them tick. Um, what are they doing, you know, in, in their downtime? Um, just try and, you know, that's the the only advice I give cricket captains is just make sure that you understand who you're captaining. That's all I said. I don't give a, a damn about you, your tactics. It's, it's irrelevant in my book. You know, having three slips, four slips, left armors, right. Who cares? That, that's irrelevant. That's just an opinion. But if you really want to be a, a fantastic captain, just make sure that you know the people that you're captaining. And if you do that, you've got a better chance of operating, a better chance of them understanding you. So I think it's important for the player to understand who you are as well, you know, how you operate, what your kind of downtime moments are, what your hobbies are, you know, what your family's like, you know, the, the more you can know about the, all the different people in the team, it's, it's so much easier to manage it then. And also understand when you have those tough days, people react differently. You know, people do go into the shell and, and, and are worried about that day. Some people... They go right back tomorrow. Uh, what are we doing tonight? Anything on? You know, whereas some will go back to the room and probably watch the replays, listen to all the pundits hammering them. And it's understanding those kind of people that you have to look after, probably more so than those free spirits. The free spirits are great, but that I can never, I was, I was a worrier. I worried about what was said and, and who was saying what. Um, and I couldn't really switch off, particularly as captain, but I had two or three people around me that understood that and kind of would always say, Skipper, come on, we're taking you out for dinner. They knew when I'd had a bad day and they wouldn't let me sit in my room because they knew I'd probably put on the TV and be the ex-Legends battering me. I'd be like, oh God, this is brutal. I do that now and I feel guilty of doing so sometimes, but it's my job. Um, but it's so important that you have a few people around the group, even the leader. You know, the leader's, as always, um, you've got to remember the captain's still a human being. Like Tim Payne now, a human being. he only need his teammates. he only need two or three of those, four of them, So just get by and say, look Payne, we're taking you out for a beer, we're going to... Take your minor fit and just let you know it's just a game of cricket. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. As much as it is, it's deemed so much bigger when we're in that uh, that dressing room and playing the game. But f- fundamentally, it's just a game of cricket, and he'll need a few of his strong strong mates, you know, teammates around him over the next week or so, just to remind him of that.
0: Yeah, just there's one, one point I need to touch on because I know Ricky Ponting, when he was captain, especially the sort of latter part of his captaincy um, life with the Australian team, he definitely, like, there wasn't too many people that he really could turn to because he was the the leader. And I think, and I know at times he felt a bit isolated because he didn't really have anyone to really talk to and connect to that was sort of like, that he really feel it. And that's why when he had Justin Langer as a batting batting coach in around the group, that was someone who really helped him because he knew him inside out. He knew how to actually draw him away when he, when he needed to as well, when he was getting inside yeah. of his mind. So you're absolutely right about the leader as well. The leader's a human being and they need to have people to be able to, you know, to rely on as well at times.
1: Yeah, no, and also, what uh, I mean, even now, I've not, I've not been an England captain for 14 years, but because you've had the England captain to tag, people just think you're bulletproof. Mm-hmm. People think, you know, in the last 10 months lockdown, it's been, it's been tough. You know, being in the buyer bubble um, last summer, locked in at a cricket ground, not being able to go out, all right, commentating on the game's great, but I found it really tough. You know, I openly admitted to a lot of my BBC cars, So I, I'm hating this. You know, I can't I can't deal with this kind of big brother-style environment. It was it, it was really hard for me to to deal with. And because I'm the ex-King England captain and, and you know, I've deemed this tough guy because of, you know, I've captained England in fifty-one Test matches. They actually a lot of my colleagues, but you know, still a human being. But I stuck my hand at one 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 meeting one I Said, "Look, I'm I'm struggling with. This. I can't I can't cope with it. You know, I need to get away from this environment and just get a little bit of a breather. Everything was on top. You know, talking cricket all day, cricket all night, waking up cricket ground, and that's why I had so much respect for the players that were were doing that for three months. And I have a huge amount of respect for all the players around the world that are, you know, being in these bio-bubbles. And you actually look at the 10 months of, if you like, the pandemic cricket uh, kind of schedule. The cricket's been extraordinary. The standard and the the, the drama that, um, you know, the India-Australian series, you go back to the New Zealand-Pakistan series that's just gone, the last day... Um, when Pakistan were blocking out, didn't manage to get over the line with a draw, you know, the England versus West Indies series and then the Pakistan series. It's been incredible. The one day series that England had with Australia, the standard has been incredible in, in the times that we're in. And, you know, I, I just think we've all got to be aware that, um, you know, it, these human beings that that, that are cricketers uh, will go through if, if it continues. And there are more bio bubbles But let's not go down too harsh on a player if all of a sudden we read that, you know, what X has decided that he wants to go home. He just can't cope with that. I think we've just got to accept that we're in these difficult times. And, you know, I'll be totally honest, if I had to sit in a bio bubble for for three or four weeks, I'd probably be sticking my hand up going, you know what, I I, I don't like this. It's tough. You know, so we've got to be reasonable what the players are going through, but also understand that what they are delivering is is a great deal of, of joy to many watching around the world. You know, they are. I mean, we we in England have, have loved watching England's Sri but also have been getting up every morning to watch the Aussies. We're all locked in, but you get up at half five, put it on, and we hope the Aussies have lost a few wickets and uh, the <laughs> Indians have given them a bit of a bashing. So you can imagine today, uh, the day that uh, obviously India have beaten Australia, it's uh, it's quite a, a popular topic in the UK with the ashes on the 10 months. So we're all talking already that England have won those ashes. The, the <laughs> Indians have shown the way for England to get those ashes back. But uh, we all know that uh, there's a lot to happen between now and then.
0: Yeah. Well, there's no doubt. Any, any chance like it is with the Aussies trying to, any chance we have a, trying to put the English down. Yeah. Absolutely. There's no question. The English will be making most of that. Yes. Vaughn. You were certainly an absolute technician from a, from a batting perspective. So I really want to dig in a little bit deeper into um, the batting side of things. So from a batting perspective, was there one or two sp- specific technical components that really stands out to you that you worked on and developed? So from that moment on, you knew if you bought that every time you went out to bat, you had a great chance of having a great day
1: yeah I mean a tall player like yourself it was just balance making sure that my head wasn't falling over to that that offside Um, Uh so staying very um, what I call weight transfer through the middle of my feet making Mm -hmm. sure when I triggered it was through the middle of my feet rather than on my toes and when I was triggering on my toes a bit anxious to get over to that off stump you know falling over and Um, You know, playing across the line, uh, losing me off stump because of it, because my head's going outside the line of off stump. And I was thinking me off stump was probably forced on playing at too many balls wide. Um, So balance was a big one for me being a tall player. Um, You know, I think that the more that I played, the less I thought technique was important. It was more about assessing conditions and reading the game. You know, I I look at Steve Smith and, and for me, he's the best test match player I've seen because he seems to be ahead of the bowler. He seems to be very aware of what the ball is trying to achieve to get him out. And he studies the field and it's not like he gambles, but he seems to be able to see the ball out of the hand sooner than I've ever seen any player. I mean, and that's not at all uh, talking down some of the greats of the game because Ricky Ponting for me was an incredible player as well. And and one that I I, I idolise and it's amazing that I think that I've, kind of a captaining against him when I just used to stand at mid-on and go, i watching a bit more of Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit bizarre uh, playing against him. Um, but I, I just think really assessing the game, I don't think there's enough talk. There's too much talk in my eyes about technique and it is important, of course. You've, you've got to be able to have a technique in my in test match cricket. Can you get back into the ball to that full of length delivery, which is on-off stunt? So can you defend that ball? If you can, everything else comes around it. If you can't play a, a Pat Cummins 88 miles an hour ball on-off stunt with a good base and a good balance, you're just not going to survive at test match level. So fundamentally, test match cricket, I think, we have to teach kids on knowing how you can survive for those first 20, 25 balls. And that means a decent technique with balance, being able to transfer forward and back. If you can do that, you can then expand your shots around it. From that forward defence position, you know that you just push a bit more, hands go through the ball and you can play the drive. You can then press back, play the cut shot on the pull shot. But fundamentally, can you, can you nullify that full of length delivery on off-stunt, which is pretty much what all bowlers are trying to achieve when you first go out there? And then you've got to start talking about how can we get players to be better at assessing the conditions quickly? So understanding that, you know, on day one, it, it may swing swing and seem, and it might not be a drive in wicket, but, you know, me and you, we like to drive the ball. But fundamentally, when I was at my best and, and at my mentally toughest, I would realise for the opening session, the drive was not on a nullify and say, right, I'm not playing it. I'm going yeah. to wait for one on my pads in the short ball. When I was mentally weak, I just go, oh, yeah, but it's my shot and snick, I'm out, I've gone. So I think assessing conditions is is something that get, it gets overlooked. I mean, you've played so much T20 cricket. and I always believe in T20 cricket. If you're waiting in that shed or in that dugout, before you walk out to bat, you have to be on 15. You have to be in your mind, watching the game and understanding what balls are dangerous, what the pitch is doing, what the fields are being set. Where are the boundary options in terms of the dimensions of the ground for you as a player? And you have to walk out there, take guard and be on 15 before you've faced the ball. That's what for me is T20 cricket and 50 over cricket now with the way it's, it's gone to these massive, massive scores. Uh, in, in test match cricket, I think, again, similarly, you'd have to be on 15, but you have to have faced 15 balls. So if you're waiting in the shed as a test player, you have to have worked so hard mentally in what's happening and assessed all the balls before you've got out there that you've already faced 15 balls. So you're not in, but you kind of understand what's going on. And that's um, something I think the best players do. I think they they probably don't know they're doing it mm. and they probably don't talk too much about that they're doing it. But I'm convinced that Steve Smith walks out at number four and he's faced many, many balls. I mean, for one, he, he shadow bats with his whites on the night before. So he's only the <laughs> He's 150 yeah. in his room <laughs> yeah. in the mirror before he's faces the ball the next day. But yeah. well, they do it. They do it just subconsciously, and I, I think I don't know how you teach kids to do that because mm. uh, their mm. concentration spans are about two minutes long. So to, to tell them to just go and concentrate and try and work out what the best shots are for you on this wicket, um, and that's what I think really good players do. And they also assess conditions, particularly in Test cricket. there might be a way of playing in the first innings which is X and by the time they bat in the second innings X has turned to Y you know it's not the same innings required and it's not the same pitch and it's not the same shots and you know, the more that I watch cricket, the best players just work that out very, very quickly. And that's something that I think we should be teaching our kids, that you've got to really assess the conditions a bit more.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then base your game plans around that, and as you said. And that does change in a test cricket. That does change from the first innings through to the to your second innings, depending on the wickets, depending on what the bowls are doing. You're absolutely right. Um, it's a, a an awesome point. The one thing I just want to go back to just that, that balance side of things, because... That is, it is one of the most important fundamentals for cricket that sometimes don't people don't really talk about all the time. Is just around how important one your head position is, but then with that, how important what you said there is like the the um, weight that's on your on the balls of your feet, the middle of your feet, not on your toes, because if it's on your toes, you have got more chance of your head falling over and your weight committing to that offside um, before the ball's bowled. Um, and I want to just and. I want to touch on your pre-movement because that your pre-movement that you had is something that from the moment that you came onto the international scene there was like there was like prototypical Michael Vaughan players that just would just come from all around the world after that because of because of your balance because of that setup would just look so free to be able to just react and really take on the ball from wherever it was bowled. Can you talk to me about how you developed and when you developed that pre-movement because it was Gosh, it was it was something that everyone wanted to be able to copy and be like.
1: Well, it came about in uh, 2002. I got out, uh, I think it was a kind of LBW at Lords for North, the first test against India, uh, and I, I thought I was staying still. Hmm. And I, I looked at the replay when I got back in the dressing room and, and I had this movement where I thought I was still, but the left foot was going over to just outside uh, off stump. So a ball that I thought was, you know, there for me to kind of tickle and just kind of straight, it trapped me in front. I was like, my word, I didn't realise my foot went over. Mm. You know, I did, I, and that's maybe a little bit of nerves, a bit of pressure of being on no, uh, just trying to get in. And I look back at videos and when I got to like 15, 20, that wasn't happening. But I thought, wait a minute, I said, against real quality bowling. If I'm doing that subconsciously without knowing it early in my innings, the ball that nips back is going to do me every single time. Mm. So I went on the machine with the, the, the actual um, physio All afternoon while we were batting and I just decided to trigger with my front foot to make sure I knew where that that left foot was. I wasn't putting a huge amount of weight, but I just wanted to know that my left foot was on around uh, middle and off stump. And I felt if the ball came back, I could access the ball. If it goes over my left foot, you can't access the ball. Your pad's in the way to get you back towards the ball. Um, so I kind of just positioned that in the in the right spot. Then my back leg came back and across also. So I was in this wide position. I've always had a huge admiration and for Matthew Hayden, big tall chap, didn't trigger. But I then worked out that he didn't need to trigger because his stance was so wide. So he'd almost done the work without triggering. He's like a big baseball player. So he didn't have to do much. So when it's full of he'd dipped back in. And when he was back, he was kind of there to play the cut shot or the pull shot. So I, I tried that and I thought, oh, no, I needed a little bit of momentum. I preferred a little bit of a trigger movement. So that's why I went trigger on the front with the front foot going forward, back foot came across. and By the time the ball had been kind of released, I'm almost in the Matthew Hayden wide stance position. It's just that I got there in a different way. I, I moved before. Uh, and in the second innings, I got 100 and everything just, just felt like I had so much time. It was like, oh, my God, I, I, I have not done this before. <laughs> You know, why have I been just trying to stand still, kind of... No, I wouldn't say my, my feet were narrow in my stance, but they weren't that wide, you know, and you've got a ball coming at you at 85, 90 miles an hour, and you think you can move that left foot to the pitch of the ball and half time you've got no chance. By having this wider stance through the trigger, I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is this is marvellous. And it just worked yeah. and it just, it just ticked for me straight away and it gave me options of obviously the front foot, uh, anything that was short. I, I didn't really have to move back again. I was in a position to kind of just go oh thank you very much So I'm like just swivel with a pull shot um, and, then, and then against spinner I'd been doing it against spin triggering forward and just kind of getting myself in that forward press position which um, and then getting kind of low in my stance to look under the ball I always feel if, if you're facing spin if you look under the ball you can pick up length a little bit quicker and so I was actually doing it against the spinners but not doing it against the seamers and then I started doing it against the seamers and uh, it helped me out I, I got into a few problems with it I, I think I think I triggered too much eventually. I started doing it more and more and and getting a little bit confused about it. But uh, when it worked and it was in sync and it was just kind of in in, in real nice rhythm, uh, it just gave me that much more time to play the shots.
0: Yeah, And was there a timing component to it? Like, were you really conscious of the bowls running in a timing to make sure that your trigger was, you did it early that it wasn't that it wasn't done too late
1: yeah yeah absolutely I mean Duncan Fletcher was my coach and he, he used to always have the the, the analogy of you know you, you better it's like getting to the bus stop you know you better to be too early because you've still got a chance of getting on the bus mm. you know if you're too late you ain't getting on the bus you're knackered and you're just going to get done so if anything you on the side of early but I don't know it's just a rhythm isn't it you kind of just as you see the call you get the ball and you go boom, boom 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 thank you very much and it all comes nicely but uh, it, it it is, a, it, uh, like young players, you see them with massive triggers and you think, oh, you well, know, that, that that could go wrong. But fundamentally, it's all about the release of the ball. When the ball's just about to release, just have a look at the position of the player. I mean, Steve Smith, uh, again, he's, he's one of these quirky players that everyone looks at his star. But, you know, you look at when the ball's released, he's in quite a neutral position. You know, he's still in a neutral position. He's not as... Uh, quirk as everyone thinks he is he's got that back left that kind of goes out there but by the time the ball's just a release he's in a very still position the head is so important if your head's still you've got a chance of getting away with anything if your head's just slightly moving it doesn't matter what your trigger is uh, it doesn't matter what guard you've taken uh, there's a chance you're going to be found out it's, it's just that stillness and whatever you do to get into that, that position that you're happy with whatever it is your head's just got to be still on the release of the ball
0: yeah, the one thing that I find really interesting what you said there is around that you worked that out yourself. Mm. Like you worked that tree. You, you had the physio, feed your balls. And when you talk about Steve Smith, I know that Steve Smith worked it out for himself. He had his wife or f- girlfriend at that time just go to the nets and feed him balls. He had no outside influence, no outside eyes or anything. He just worked it out for himself. And it's amazing that it's, it gets taken away at times because you get so reliant on coaches but in the end, a lot of the time, you're actually your best. You're your best coach.
1: Yeah, and I guess I played a bit by then, so I trusted mm. that I could play a bit, and you know, I'd, I've been in the England team a while, so I think it takes an amount of confidence to kind of take ownership of your own game. When you're a younger player, you kind of you almost want the coaches to tell you a few things because <clears> you don't know enough yourself. Um, but I always say to younger players now, nah, just go and trial and error. You know, I, I keep hearing this expression. I hit with a spin. I go you want to work the method of hitting spin, the spinning deliveries on both sides of the wicket. Cause I know as a captain, if, if I've got a player that can only hit it on one side, can set a field all day long. And if I'm, you know, bowling someone like Monty Panesar and it's spinning square and, and I've got a, a batter that can suddenly get the lap slog out and, and challenge the onside as well as obviously the offside, uh, it's so much more difficult to set field. So um, don't, don't, you know, particularly younger players, don't don't worry about making mistakes, but don't give a shot up because you've made mistakes in the nets trying to do so. So if you're trying to hit the off spin and it's spinning square through the offside, don't just say, oh, no, I'm going to put that, but work away and make sure that you work your system into understanding that you, it might not be the drive, it might be the back foot punch, it might be the reverse sweep, but you need to have all these kind of shots in your locker these days. Not many players um, with the formats that are, are so... Uh, valuable to the players, you know, with T20 cricket, 50 over cricket, Test Match, cricket, to be great, great players in all the formats, you're going to have to have this 360 game. So don't be scared of going out there and practising all the trick shots, the ramps, the flicks. Uh, but fundamentally, understand that by playing those shots, there's still a stillness. You know, there's still a, a way of playing them. It's not just that these just Butlers play it because they haven't practised. They practice. Now, they practice and practice and practice. And by doing so, um, when they play it in a match situation, it's just another shot.
0: Vaughn, managing your body and staying fit to be at your best is one of the biggest, or can be one of the biggest challenges in cricket. And I certainly know that (laughs) from experience. Um, So, what were the lessons um, that you learned along the way to manage your body as well as you did?
1: Well, again, I'm like you, Watson. My right knee was knackered. I had four operations. Mm. I struggled to get on the pitch. I, I mean, 05, I had, I think, three um, quarter zone injections to get me oh, through really? the series. I, yeah, I, I was in a, a state. And, and fundamentally when I finished in 09, I, I wasn't playing well enough. But uh, a lot was to do with the fact I just couldn't, couldn't run and train as, as well as I'd, I'd like to. And, you know, every day I was spent pretty much half of it on a physio bed. And, you know, you just know yourself. You, it just becomes unenjoyable, the game, when you're mm-hmm. forever kind of having to ice or you know, miss a game or miss a training day because you you know that your knee's going to flare up. Um, I'm probably the worst person to ask about managing. <laughs> but the one thing I'll say that I've done since I've retired is uh, yoga. Yep. It's, it's the one thing that I wish, to, and I look back at now, my, my little lad's a player, and he's trying to have a go at it, and he's, he's getting tall. And and I've always said to him, like, I I'm, I pass you on to the coaches. It's up to the coaches and yourself to, to be the player. I said, but I can give you some very good advice about a little bit of the mentality, but more so the body. I said just make sure that you're doing loads of stretching. Stretching and yoga. I just wished that I'd have I would probably when I started to get these knee problems, um, stretching was there, but yoga wasn't quite in my era at the top of the list. It was like oh just just jump in the ice bath, you'll be fine. <laughs> you know, put some of those skins on, sleep in them, they'll they'll look after you. Um I, I think yoga and stretch is, is so important. So uh, that's my advice, Watto. I, I'm, yep. I'm, I'm trying to stay fit and play a bit, a little bit longer, make sure that you go and do a bit. of That hot yoga is quite nice as well. You get some nice views, so it's well worth uh, going to get involved in a class. or big <laughs> Yeah. It's, funny.
0: It's, it's interesting you say yoga because yoga, if I wish that I started doing yoga when I was seventeen, sixteen, seventeen. 16, 17, I wish that was one of the parts of my training. It wasn't not just fitness, not just strength, but actually yoga as well. Um, because yeah. I started doing yoga when I was 31, 32, after a long way into having a lot of, a lot of soft tissue injuries and, um, yeah. And yoga definitely that, that played a huge, had a huge impact on my, on my body and managing it. So yeah, you absolutely spot
1: on there, mate. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, um, you know, kind of management groups do Whether they do or they don't, I'm not. I'm not heard that they do, but I'm amazed that they don't actually force yoga on players these days.
0: I agree.
1: You don't want to force. You don't want to force too many things on players, but I would say yoga can only benefit. There's no downside to to mm-hmm. to every player getting involved in yoga. So, yep. um, I just found. I must admit, I've tried, it and it took me ages to get into. it But I find it so boring to start with. But I'm now mm-hmm. into it. It's kind of part of my my weekly routine, a bit of yoga.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, certainly. It's certainly valuable. Forney, um, to be able to do what you did throughout your career, you obviously must you were very well developed with your mental skills um, to, and also to go with your you know, technical skills. So from a mental skills point of view, um, and I'm talking about uh, batting right now, were you always built a certain way or did you have to develop certain mental skills uh, that you used to beat your best?
1: Well, to show, I, mean, I I came through a system at Yorkshire that was tough. Um, mm. It was very much a senior environment that the seniors dominated, uh, and only the, the the kind of I wouldn't say toughest youngsters, but the youngsters that could just say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm with you. You know, you you still part of the team. I used to always laugh that, you know, when I first started county cricket, there was a first team dressing room and a second team dressing room, and you know, eleven players going onto the pitch, but we wouldn't be in the same dressing room as some of the senior pros. We'd have to knock on the door to go. And I was like, what the hell is this all about? We're a team, aren't we? So I understood that early, and, and and would kind of just laugh at some of the senior players I'd walk in. They'd like you, so oh, I'm going to do my washing. You know, go and do my laundry. I'd go, piss off. <laughs> no, I'm even playing the team. I don't mean I have to do your washing or go to the bookies for you or go to the bacon sandwich shop. You no, know, you can't. You can't treat me like that. I'm you know one of your team members. Um, so I guess that my upbringing at Yorkshire was. Very much like that. Um, the pitches that we played on at Yorkshire were, were, were very, very indifferent when I first died, Very up and down, it seemed all over the place. So you had to have a, a mindset of realising that every now and again you get a ball that you can't do anything about. Um, so that makes, makes you quite kind of honest and tough with it. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I was, you know, fundamentally brilliant mentally. I was brilliant when I was at my best, but also I think... I have a, a fair assessment. I was also really bad at times, you know, where mentally the game got me and, you know, I had a huge amount of doubts, uh, lost form quite quickly. Um, you know, but I also realised that the way back into form and the way back into scoring was simplicity of realising that you just got to practice the basics more than actually the fancy stuff. And when I was playing really well, you know, sometimes I look back and think, wait a minute, I, I ended up just practising all the fancy shots, which, are really the shots you play when you're on 50. You know, what you need to work on, particularly in test match cricket, is working out how, how to get to 20. You know, how, how do you get to 20 in test match cricket? And it's basically just fundamental basics of the game. Knowing where you're off is playing the ball late, waiting for that ball that you absolutely know you can score off. And then you work your way to 20 and everything else comes a bit easier. I had a, a, a trick that I used to use out in the middle uh, when I was really bad like you know, you know when you take guard and you suddenly know that things aren't right and you feel awful. You know, it's just the, the worst feeling in, in, in the world in Test cricket, particularly when you know that the, the glaring eyes are on you and you kind of just can't work it out. So I used to use a system where I used to mark myself out of ten every ball. And what that did is it took me away from potentially what had been said in the media and, and what people were saying about your form and your technique. Uh, it took me away from thinking, "Wait a minute, if I failed in this innings, what are they going to say?" or you know, you know who's going to write what uh, and it just allowed me to stay in the here and now so I, I had a 100 actually at Headingley and my first 20, 30 runs were horrendous and I don't think I, I gave myself a mark over five for the first 20 I was edging them everywhere, inside edging but the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it actually it's got a bit of a game within a game you, you know how tense and pressurised it can be and how uptight we can be when we're in the middle um it, it almost took away that tightness and that thought process of failure it was just a little game I was playing that I was trying to get to that eight or nine out of ten and I was marking myself on balance uh, judgment um, you know mindset and before I knew it I got to 20 got to 25 and I think it was around 40 I played a cover drive and thought well that felt quite nice and I, I ended up getting 100 uh, and, and I've always kind of used that uh, for, for players now that if you just try, you know, you can go out in the middle and under the pressure zone of a big crowd, you know, the, the cameras on, uh, just play a game within a game. You know, you you just, you, you're actually judging yourself and it's only you that's judging you no one else. And that's, uh, that really helped me on that occasion.
0: Did you work that out yourself? Because that's very powerful yeah. to be able to stay. You did. Because to be able to, that, that's what you're doing there is bringing you to stay totally present. As you said, to the here and now. Because in the end, the, the key to batting and the key to being able to bat for long periods of time and be at your best is just stay present. As you said, whatever's happened before, good or bad, whatever's might happen in the future, good or bad, it's it's out, it doesn't matter. All that matters is the here and now. So you work that out yourself, yeah. Morning. That's very, it's very, very profound. Because what you said there, and that's for every young kid, every young kid out there, because that's what it's all about batting is and and skills in general, is just staying really present. And that marking yourself out of ten every ball—that's just keeping it totally, totally the here and now. It's brilliant.
1: Yeah, and that—that—that that, 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 I always say that's the—you know—people say to me, you know, how do you judge mental toughness? And I say that, you know, can you play that ball? Can you play the ball? Just that one ball. Every single ball is an occasion. Can you play it? And then. And, and, you know, store it away if it's a good one, and you can kind of use it later on, or for the next time that delivery arrives. Or can you just bin it? You know, play and miss a bad shot, just bin it. You know, mm-hmm. can you bin that uh, poor, poor shot or that misjudgment and understand that it was just that one ball that you misjudged? I mean, the whole innings is going to be like that because you've got to nullify that and put it to one side. And you know, that's the power of, of the mind is that um, you know when we're when we're not in a good state, um, you can worry about too many things. You know, you can concern yourself and. You, you can certainly start worried about a lot of exterior things within like the, the, the operation of a, an international or an IPL team that's so big, that the power of the media, the pundits. Fundamentally, the best players can just play the ball. Uh, and if you can do that and get used to doing that and understand that everything else is it's really irrelevant because it doesn't matter at that moment of facing the ball because nothing else can matter other than that ball. And, and if you can get yourself into that mindset, particularly, you know, there's that many players in the world with talent you know everyone that plays for an IPL team or an international team, they've got talent because they wouldn't have been able to get there without it and it's just the best ones can just play the ball ball after ball and that's what brings consistency
0: okay you were absolutely in the thick of the media and you and you talked about this earlier just about um you know when things weren't going that well about how you how you dealt with it as well as you could anyway um and now you're heavily involved in the media as a, as a great um, commentator as well. So from what you know now, would you have approached the media in a different way uh, to when you are playing?
1: No, I mean, I, I was always, um, you know, th- there was times when the media got me down away from when they saw me. Um, I used to play a bit of a game with them. I used to always believe that I could never give anything away. Never ever give anything away. It was a bit of a, I don't know if you've seen the movie Roadhouse
0: no, I haven't.
1: Crazy and he was a bouncer, and he and all these guys would come in, and they, you know, they try and take him on. And he was always dead cool and calm, and just, you know, they're, they're trying to smash him on the head with bottles in the bar, like the Wild West. And he was always dead cool and calm, and just getting them out of the bar. I'm not saying I, I, I was getting smashed on the head with bottles, but I always used to look at that and think, wait a minute, when I walk into that press conference, particularly after bad days or I'm out of form, what do they want to see? And what they want to see, because I understood the media, I went out of my way to understand what they wanted in terms of like uh, headlines and, um, you know, big kind of stories. They want to see an England captain that's down because they feel that they've got you down. So I would act. The best leaders are actors. You know, they just got to put on this persona. And if someone had written something quite harsh about me, uh, and it happened on many occasions, that's the the nature of the beast, I would always say hello to them as I walked in. I'd always say hi. And they'd look at me and go, oh, dear, has he not yeah, read the column? Or,
0: yeah, that's a good effort. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure yeah, if I was going to be I,
1: doing that. <laughs> no, I always used to play a bit of a game and do that. Uh, it, look, deep inside me, I'd, I'd be thinking, "What oh, a Muppet. Jesus Christ, <laughs> can't believe you wrote, wrote, wrote that. But no, I think you, you have to be able to to act and you have to be able to um, realise that you're there for the team. You know, your, your job as a captain is to position yourself as a spokesperson for the team and, you know, everyone's watching you. You know, everyone's watching you. Every move as a captain and, and everyone's watching every interview. All the players are. So you've almost got to make sure that they're not seeing any weakness. And there's loads of times where, God, I, I, I was desperate to say other things and, um, you know, kind of tell a few home truths, but you can't. You've just got to get a message across, go into that press conference with the message that you want to get across. You know, it's, uh, it, it's very easy to twist the question into what you want to say. Um, and, and get your point of view across but fundamentally from being in the media now um the advice that I give all players is that it's not personal you know anything that's said it's never personal it's just an opinion uh, and doesn't mean that the opinion's right you know you can't allow it to affect you if you allow what someone can say that you can't control affect you uh, I'd say that you, you're not in a great state of mind you know, you can't allow someone to write something that you've got no say whatsoever what they're writing, let, let, let it affect you. You can use it to inspire you. You know, you can certainly use it to drive you on and say, right, I'll prove, prove them wrong, which is great. I think particularly in England, England are always very dangerous when they have a point to prove. England are uh, sometimes, and we worry about the England side when they've had too much praise, you know, a little, little bit blase and probably don't have that bit between the teeth to prove a few pundits wrong or a little bit of noise trying to quiet it down. Um, But, yeah, I I, I do think, and I look back at the times where I played really well, actually I'd I'd been triggered into it by someone saying something, and I'd be like, right, I'll prove them wrong. It's almost like drives you on to practice harder to make sure that you go and get a score. Uh, I'd like to think back and think, oh, I didn't have that mindset every time I went out to bat. I just scored a few more runs.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You need that far in the belly. Yeah, Uh, Brilliant. Look, that's, just, that's a great perspective what you said there, uh, Vorney, because it is, a, it's, for the, the youngsters coming through, it's tough to negotiate at times, you know, the media and not letting it affect you, as we talked about earlier, um, around the mental toughness to try and just not allow those things to, to penetrate your mind as you're going out into the middle. But at times, you, well, you just need coping mechanisms and, you know, the games, the games that you had that you're playing, Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse, yeah.
1: <laughs> Very impressive. Say, I w- yeah, I will say what I, I think it's harder now because social media is is the play. I mean, in mm. my time, it was just media. Mm. You know, it was just the, the written uh, press. You know, you had to buy the paper to read it. You know, now it's just all over social media. And mm. also... It's not even that the, and I don't think the players get so affected by what a journalist writes. I think they get affected by the fans, you know, the, mm. the actual people out there that can have their say my time, you know, I couldn't go back to my room and suddenly any England fan or any cricketing fan in the world or Australian fan could pelt me on social media. It, it just wasn't the era that I played in. So, you know, my advice to, to all, all players uh, on social media is if you're going to be on social media, accept it and understand that it's not going to all be pretty. You know, the, the the amount of commercial gains from players being on social media, for me, surely should outweigh the negative times where you have to you cop a bit. You, you play a bad shot, just don't look at it. Yep. You know, why would you go back to your room if you know you've made a mistake yep. and you know you've had a, a bad day at the office? Just don't look at it. You, you don't have to. And that's mental toughness. Mental toughness is realising when it's not the right time to do something. And I think players these days are so uh, accustomed to just looking at the phones all the time that they're going to have negativity. Um, but also on the other foot, don't, don't take the negativity so badly, but then take the praise so well. Don't expect that, you know, you're going to see all great stuff, uh, you know, particularly if you score a 100 and you get, you know, you're the best player in the world and should be on the way to number one. You know, and don't love all that as well. Just realise you've got to stand in an even keel. You know, that, that shouldn't bother you. So someone saying you that you're great shouldn't matter because they shouldn't know because it's up to you to tell you that yourself, that you're a great player. And vice versa, if you've had a couple of bad knocks, don't be worried by someone calling you that, you know, you're useless and you should be out of the team. It shouldn't affect you. Um I understand why it can for some people, but don't take the praise and then, complain about the negativity because you've got to try and stay on this even keel.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's great advice around social media because, yeah, you don't, if you know something's potentially coming, don't, yeah, don't, you don't need to read it.
1: <laughs> put, put the phone in the, just put, put it in the cupboard for a few couple of days.
0: <laughs> That's it. Exactly right. <laughs> okay, Vornie, this is going to get into other aspects away from cricket. Um, and I really believe this is one of the most important life skills that most of us don't get much of an education on throughout our lives. Uh, but managing, investing our money as well as possible is so integral to making the most of what we've got. Um, so looking back from where you are now, from what you've learned throughout your life so far, would you have done things differently from an investment and wealth generation point of view?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when, when I was a younger player, I think I, um, like, like all sports people, so busy uh, concentrating on, on playing the game, you trust people and, and you trust people to, with, with your money and your finances. Um, you know, and I, I was involved in a company that, you know, they, they made some good decisions, but also some bad decisions. But, you know, I kind of look back and think, you, you know, and one or two of the things that went well, I thought were like low risk and then I, eventually found out they were high risk but they worked. but that was just luck you know that wasn't great uh, financial advice at all um the more i i i look at um particularly uh, in this area of sport where they're making so much money is that there are a lot of sharks out there you know i, I always call the investments like and just, just you don't need to be going for the ipl sixes you know you don't need to be trying to hit your investments for six every day and you know hitting 80 off 30 balls. You, you need an investment portfolio, which is like test match batting, knocking the ones, mm-hmm. just dead boring, Jeffrey Boycott style, yep. bore the life <laughs> out. Because you've worked so hard to earn that money, the last thing you need to do is is lose it. You know, make sure that at worst you're keeping what you've got. Uh, and and that's again talking to people and and good honest people and good kind of business people who have probably got the the best kind of links into those kind of. Uh, Investment strategies, funds, whatever it may be, um, but around that, I, I think you know, particularly players these days, they're earning enough money to to have a bit of a, a punt at things. You know, it might be that they they fancy going into a, a certain style of business or operation. It might be that they have to invest some money to do so. Um, so don't be scared of trying things. But fundamentally, your, your core of what you earn, you want to make sure that you're looking after it properly and not not risking too much. So that's the advice I would give to all the players, but. You know, I, I've kind of finished and got myself into all sorts of like, different businesses and, okay. you know, whether it's drinks, um, whether it's energy, um, you know, hair, products, beauty. Yeah. You know, I, I sit in, in, in on, on, on quite a few boards and, and, and make decisions and, and try and drive brands forward. Uh, and absolutely love it. That's that's one of the the, the areas of, of my life that I, I mean I love cricket, love commentary, and I love kind of being around the game. But you know, away from cricket, you know, not many would know that I'm, I'm possibly involved in uh, a few businesses that are, are going great, and it's it's good fun. It's it's been hard work, particularly in the last year, but uh, we look like we're through the majority of, of of the bad stuff from from the pandemic and. And uh, times are starting to get a little bit brighter. So uh, I, I'd advise all players to try and find an interest or two and, and go for it. I mean, I, we created a drinks company, pissed up around my kitchen table two years ago. Really? Me and my mate. Yeah, we we were sat around the table. He's was one of the, the main guys at Kellogg's for many, many years. And mm. we just went, come on, let's do something. We realized gin can be pretty much made today, sold tomorrow. Uh-huh. Uh, and we went, right, come on. We went, we called it declaration. Uh, so we've got declaration dreams we've got a gym we've got a run coming out we've got a seltzer uh, we've got coffee we've got uh, an ale and lager coming out in the next uh, 24 months we're not too sure when they'll be out but they'll be out maybe late this year early next year uh, wow uh, and that was just a, a drunken idea sat around the table and you know that's just four of us that are involved and you know we're starting to get gather a little bit of legs and that was a bit of fun we thought I would just try it for a bit of fun <laughs> within a few months it became quite serious
0: <laughs> jeez that's incredible. So talk to me just about, like when you're looking at a business idea or someone where you're trying to build a, a business out, what's the criteria that you're really looking for um, to be able to have the best chance of it, of it doing well?
1: Uh, people. Mm. You know, I always look at people and um, passion. and um, there, are, there are fundamentally some really boring investments that work the best. But when I start looking at companies that I invest in uh, and start businesses in particular, I just look at people. You know, I just think people are the most important aspects, organisation, um, you know, the tech companies, you know, you look at tech and obviously in the last 10 years, it's been a huge um, a rewarding kind of investment for many. You know, the companies that work the best, are generally run by good people, who have the right ethics and they work very, very hard and got great ideas, but they kind of, um, they pass on a, a lot of what they don't know to people that do know. They're not, they're not shy in, in, in passing on. Um, you know what needs to be done uh, around the business that they can't do Uh, so I just I just basically pick people Uh, I I listen to a lot of uh, good friends of mine who are are quite high up in business in the UK and they kind of steer me down a few things and and then I make a decision you know it's uh, you know I'm not saying I'm a, a serial investor I'm certainly not but I'm done. Okay, I've done okay by um, kind of investing in in the right people. I, I I really believe that. I think people are pretty much everything.
0: It's very cool because I find business very absolutely fascinating. <laughs> absolutely fascinating. Um, and just going with the declaration. So with the with the gin and the yeah you know, the other um, drinks and uh, products that you're bringing out again. So the the evolution of that company is around people. Is making sure you got the quality people in the right places to help that grow like it is.
1: Yeah. And, and it's just, um, there's only a small team of us. All of us are our friends. Um, you know, I, I was always advised not to go into business with friends and, and yeah. I can't, I've had time this year, but I couldn't understand that. But, um, our wives are involved that they're, they're heavily involved, um, kind of running the day to day operation, um, you know, working with Amazon to, to get your products on, on, a, on an Amazon site. Um, Never realized there were so many forms that you had to fill in. Yeah. <laughs> it's frightening, the the operation that they run, but, you know, great, great platform. Um, it, it's just nice to be involved in something that you own, that, you, you know, that it's a blank canvas. If, if we decide we want to do something, we can do it. So if we cool. decide we want to, um, you know, we've pretty much trademarked all the, all the different drinks around the world that you can potentially have. Uh, really excited about the rum we've we've got casts um there's a, a Shiraz cast from australia so declaration of the gin is um, uh, all, all the all the um, the botanicals inside the gin uh, from my three favorite cricketing countries so australia mm-hmm. we have uh, the purest ginger from australia in uh, india we have the the best Dajjal in tea uh, and from England uh, yorkshire we have a bit of licorice and it's the purest licorice that you can find and um, it's it's as organic as you possibly can get it uh, we have the best ethanol from Italy uh, so it's the purest ethanol that you can have in a gin from Italy so there's a cricket in story but the, the rum's very similar that we've got a, cask, a, a shiraz cask from Australia we've got uh, a, a rum cask uh, the, a plantation rum from Barbados uh, and we've got um, some botanicals from here in the UK so that'll be a similar kind of story the declaration rum which will be uh, around may time and i must admit that the gym got some nice traffic and, and lots of people uh are, are kind of customers now in in the gym market that we provided we've got it in selfridges uh fenix uh, all the high-end hotels here in, in the uk but rum uh, i've never had an explosion of people wanting the rum <laughs> rum's that rum's the new call clearly it's uh yeah. it's a cool a cool thing because the amount of people that text me saying where do i get your rum i said well it's not until may uh, and we've also got uh, this seltzer. It's called Gin One, yeah. and it's um, it's a three percent volume, uh, fifty eight calories. So good for the old waste. Uh, no sugar, um, or vegan. Um, you know, it's it's a real as healthy a drink that you can possibly have. Uh, I'm not saying that all alcohol's healthy, but if you want a healthy alcohol drink, try the Gin One. It's uh, it's it's one that's out in the market now. So it's only just come out and uh, the youngsters are i'm not saying under 16s but those over 18 that can drink uh, yeah. they seem to be liking which is
0: great awesome well gin is one of my favorite my favorite drinks. so i'd love to i love to try it. and also <laughs> rum so the two of those ones are, are my fav- <laughs> <laughs> favorite <laughs> ones to run. drink so good on <laughs> good on you mate it's, a, it's an amazing story i I, lo- I love the the story behind you know what you're doing and um good for you mate gosh okay one thing that i've realized is that life is all about how well you bounce back from setbacks that life always throws at you. So do you have a mantra or a saying in your life that helps you bounce back quicker from the challenges that life, life always throws your way?
1: Oh, good question. Um, I, I believe it's just you. I believe that when, when times are tough and, you know, I, I, as I've openly admitted, I've found the last 10 months very tough. Um, I have days and, 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 and two or three days where I get low and down and, You know, I feel terrible, uh, a bit grumpy around people, don't want to pick up the phone, just don't want to speak to anyone, uh, can't be bothered, go on long walks, kind of avoid people because just don't want to have a conversation. But ultimately, I wake up on a morning and go, you know what, get out of it. I've got to get out of that. I've got to be triggered into a better mindset. And generally, it's about uh, fitness. I really do believe that, that getting out there and being active and just feeling good about yourself by doing a training session every day if you can, particularly in lockdown where we haven't got a great deal to do other than make sure the kids are on their Zoom calls every day for the lessons. Um, you know, there's nothing open over here, so there's no excuse. And particularly with the pandemic and the virus, we're all learning more about it, that the healthier and fitter that you can be, the more chance that if the virus hits you, it, it may not bounce off you, but you've got a better chance of surviving. Um, If there's one thing that we should be looking at throughout this pandemic and and coronavirus is that the positive that should and and there's not many and it's really hard to put a positive on it is that, you know, let's get healthier and let's get fitter. You know, that's a simple message that I've been saying for years and years about schools that, you know, from the age of five, we send our kids to nursery and, you know, they get taught X, Y and Z. And there's a lot at school that's great and there's a lot that you can use in your 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 life after education, but let's be honest, there's a lot of school that you actually get taught that's a load of crap.
0: Yep, you never use it. you never use a bit of it, a lot of it again.
1: It is it's it's nonsense, and if we can't step aside every single day from the age of five, half an hour that kids get exercise, so it's in their system from the age mm-hmm. of five that they know that every day for their bodies, for their minds, for their well-being, they're active. And I'm not saying that everyone goes on a run or everyone does a hit class or a spin session, but Activity might be that you know a, a kid's just walking around the playground or, or you know doing a bit of dance, uh, you know a little bit of movement. It could be anything, but I do think it's important across the world that we do send the message that you know that the culture of our environments need to change. You know, it needs to change going forward. We can't have that uh, a young kid can go to school and by the age of fourteen you hear that oh they don't play sport or they don't take part in any kind of physical activity. I'm going how? Yeah they have to go to every lesson you know we should be making it absolutely that every kid in the country must be able to do 30 minutes activity every day and that should be part of the school curriculum and if that's the one thing that comes through uh, coronavirus that's positive you know i hope that's a a really strong message that uh, comes across but that's how i treat those low moments and those bad times I, i don't have any kind of Saying, or I don't have anything that I read that kind of triggers me. It's just me. I wait, I'm going to come on. I've got to get out of this. You've got to remember always in our lives, there's always people that are a lot worse off than us. And we're very fortunate, very lucky, but we're still human beings and we're still allowed to have those, those low times. You're still allowed to have moments that are, are difficult, you know, that that's fine, but you're going to just got to trigger yourself back into action. And generally it's it's me. I've got one of those Pelotons. I go on it, sweat, mm. sweat me arse off. Mm get those instructors shouting at me, telling me off, and I'm away and I'm like, yeah, come on, let's go again. But it's normal to have low moments. And I think people have got to accept that and understand that just because we are ex-sports people and, again, an ex-England captain, I'm still a human being and I'm allowed to have low moments. But I do have a a, kind of a a curricula that I go through to get myself back into positivity. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And and what you said there just around, um, yeah, developing – healthy habits from a really young age is it's actually it's what the school system should be teaching there's no question you're absolutely spot on um, yeah, it's one of the one of the most important life skills that anyone can have and you're absolutely right and hopefully that's one thing that comes out of this this situation
1: yeah, and also and also you know in what what is the best fuel to feed your body you know that's again does that get taught at school I haven't seen it you know they might get taught a bit of protein and carbs and what's the difference but now, our school teaching the kids exactly what are the best fuels to feed the body and the mind. You know, I, I haven't seen it at my school. I don't know if you get it over there, over there in Sydney. <laughs> but certainly not on my curriculum. I haven't seen it.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. how important it's one of the most important things you can understand is how to keep yourself healthy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it stands you in good stead.
0: Mm, absolutely, mate. Okay. You have met and been around some of the most successful people in the world. Is there one person who has inspired you the most and why?
1: Um, I mean, my dad is the is the one who, who inspired mm-hmm. me, but that's such an obvious answer. Sir Alex Ferguson is the best leader, manager that's, in my eyes, ever lived. You know, what he achieved at Man United and the way that he managed uh, not just one team, but probably four or five teams that he went again and again and again and kept on changing. And, you know, I think, you know, rebooting the team with signings, You know, making that impact by selling a player or getting rid of a high-class player, whether it's David Beckham, Roy Keane, uh, Yapstam. Remarkable to think of how many years he he managed a football club under that precious stress. Um, You know, Justin Langer actually um, asked me in the Ashes series in 2019 if he could meet Sir Alex Ferguson, and and I shouldn't really be helping Australia out, but... um, I did organise for him and Steve Ward to go and have dinner and I always remember the next day the um, test match at Old Trafford and I thought the whole ground thought it was rather bizarre that Justin Langer ran up to me and gave me a hug Mm -hmm. because I'd organised it the day before for him to have dinner With He basically said, I will be forever indebted to you for the rest of my life. So I haven't had that very nice bottle of Penfold from Justin yet, but I'm sure it'll come. (laughs) (laughs) But he's, he's, he is different grave. He lives near me and you see him around. He's got an incredible manner. He's brilliant with all the the, the people in in, in and around the area that we live. He he contributes to all the, the local charities, um, he just walks the streets says hello to everyone he's in the supermarkets he he's he's not got an ego that you look at and think when you think of managing man united for all those times um he's just a very very driven clever dedicated very obviously clever on football but his philosophy, and he's got a great book. Anyone that wants to read a book on management and leadership and how to get the best out of players. And he was, he, he back in the day, in, I think it was 2003 when I got the England job, I did ring around a few people. Uh, I had a, a few business people that I used, but I did get a few messages from Charlotte. And he just said, just, just always remember that you need enthusiasm. Whatever you're doing in life, if you want to do it well, you're not going to be able to do it unless you're enthusiastic. So you as England captain's got to be the most enthusiastic person in that dressing room. You have to love the game more than anybody else. And that has to come across to the rest of the, the player. Forget the management. He you said, you've got to be enthusiastic because if you're not, you won't get out of bed in the morning. Uh, it's a great lesson. Whatever you are doing in business, in sport, uh, charity, work, whatever it may be, you have to be enthusiastic about it. And if you, if you are so you've got a greater chance of being successful.
0: Yeah, super cool. Um, I'm going to have to read that book. I haven't read Sir Alex's um, book yet. I do I absolutely it. love, yeah, I'll, I'll dig into that for sure. Um, and in regards to any, is there any other books that you'd recommend outside of Sir Alex Ferguson? Because that's something that, yeah, I love, I love learning. So I'll be reading that for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I read all the sporting kind of bios. I, I like to uh, understand and learn about different sports people. Uh, but I'm reading at the minute Tyson Fury's uh, mm-hmm. book and he's he's wrote it throughout lockdown he is an amazing story to, to think he's uh, the heavyweight world champion um you know what he did to Deontay Wilder Klitschko back in the day in his own backyard to win there is it's just unheard of I just don't think he's ever got the credit until now of what he's achieved and his book's all about mental health he you know he's had suicidal attempts twice you know depression all his life you know he he, he got to 28 stone and then realised he had that moment. He went, right, I've got to do something about it. And he trains for two hours a day. He's on Instagram. He's he's everywhere, Tyson, just giving a a load of positivity. And his book is about mental health and and mental wellbeing. It's a bit obviously about his boxing and his training, but it really is an educational tool of how, how you can manage your own mind and how you've got to have that moment where you've got to be more positive with yourself. You know, if you're negative with yourself all the time... He's just going to drag you down and drive you, you know, to the ground. And, and he's just, look, look at me. Uh, I'm openly expressing what I've been through, openly expressing that I've struggled in life. I've I've struggled with many, many things. He's got all the money in the world now, but it's not about money. He said he, he swaps all his wealth for health. That's his saying. It's not about wealth. It's about health. And it doesn't matter how much money you've got. If you haven't got your health, there's no point in having any wealth. So... Um, He he looks after his health now and, uh, you know, he'll fight Anthony Joshua this year, but it's well worth, well worth having a read. It's a a real educational tool of how to deal with any mental frailties that we have.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. And gosh, that's very profound. Um, Health (laughs) is more valuable than wealth. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, Varnie, I truly am so grateful for you to take the time uh, to be on this episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Um, You achieved so many incredible things during your career. now we've all been so fortunate to hear these amazing insights um, into what made you so good on and off the field. Um, I really can't thank you enough for giving me the time to share all these amazing insights with us. And we are that much richer for digging deeper into the minds of one of the greats of world cricket. Thank you, mate.
1: Yes, mate.
0: For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, Head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.